All right, everybody. That was our first musical uh, introduction to our podcast. That was Bobby playing on the guitar. Mm. Well um, done, sir. It was that a, an original by you? It was. Wow, beautiful. I liked it. It's got it's got like it grabs you in a way. Um, so t- the day today's name of the podcast, which if you've clicked on it, you've probably spent about half an hour trying to read it because it's very long. Um, <laughs> it's why would I write songs and perform them as a non-transcendent musical talent? Now the reason it is written in such a way um, is because our guest today is Gui Ming. Gui Ming, can you say hi to everybody? Hello, everybody. There you go. Um, excellent job with the hello. It's a great start. Um, we'll get into why you wanted to name it that and uh, some other things here in a little bit. Um, Another first today, we have four people in four this podcast. People. Four people. So we don't know what's going to happen. This might be a terrible idea. It might be a great idea. Um, I assume probably four is probably the max that we could do. I don't know. Um, we should try to push the limits. I think technically you can have as many people as. Well, technically push. you could, but I mean, it, it becomes a doesn't become very fun at some stage. Anyways, um, so. Before we get to that main topic, uh, first, some loose ends from our previous podcast. We did get an email uh, from one of our listeners. Again, our email is why would I podcast? I've already forgotten it. <laughs> why yes. would I podcast at gmail.com? Um, and I do check it. That's why I've forgotten it because it's now on my phone and I never have to log in, so I don't have to remember it. Um, we got an email from Ashley, who was our former neighbor, and now she's moved away. And she was um, quite upset at me because I eat string cheese. Blaming, how do you eat string cheese, first off? I don't. You don't eat string cheese? Have you ever eaten string cheese? Yeah. When you, (laughs) in the past, when you ate string cheese, how did you eat said string cheese? I melted it and ate it like normal cheese. Melted it? That's not normal. What are you talking about? Why would I eat string cheese versus any other cheese? That sounds like the beginning of a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. If I want to eat cheese, I just eat good cheese instead of nasty cheese. So cookies. even like when okay. you were a cheese. It's an excellent point. You didn't eat string cheese. No, we ate Asian snacks growing Oh, that's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, okay, well. And I'm always going to eat a kettle chip instead of a string cheese. And if I'm going to eat cheese, I'm going to eat chip? Where does that come from? nasty string cheese. Just okay. like of all the snacks. Well, mm. so it's funny you should mention that because I'm heavily into string cheese right now. It's it's There's Why? a lot of string cheese coursing through my veins right now. Um. Well, it's part of my new workout plan and nutrition plan that I've told you about already. Um, and String cheese specifically well, or cheese? Well, it's a snack. It's well, a snack. And it's the again, simplest snack. It's the simplest to carry. It's the same size as any other cheese. <laughs> other cheese just tastes better. It is not any I've more never really thought about this, nasty. but there are healthier types of cheeses, are there not? <laughs> okay, well, so anyway, getting back to the real point of this. <laughs> hypothetically, Gui Ming, if you were to eat string cheese... And you weren't... I would just eat it. I would not string it. Yes! High five, dude! Oh, Claiming oh, high five. I don't dignify it because this is a pure hypothetical. <laughs> see, string cheese see, that's is not a, a win for you. Idea. Oh, it's totally a win. That's He's not on my side. That's not a win for you because it's a pure hypothetical. He wouldn't actually do it. Anyone who would actually eat string cheese would string it. They wouldn't just chomp down on it. It's ridiculous that you chomp down on it. Anyway. Um, yeah, anyways, uh, Ashley was upset that I um, ate my string cheese with just bite by bite as opposed to stringing it and so actually you've been heard um you've not been listened to but you have been heard i'm just kidding james agrees with you guayming agrees with me in theory which is all that matters right now that's so i'm happy with that um secondly our last podcast was about why would i have a favorite sports team and i ended the podcast with a long uh ode to manchester united my favorite team probably in general maybe well notre dame's up there too but um the ironic thing is they they didn't uh, and uh, lost their next two games, so it was kind mm-hmm. of it's kind of ironic because I, I gave this long 
long um, emphatic speech about how how great their comeback was and how amazing following them is and just the beauty in it and then they end up losing their next two games so you know that's part of following a sports team there's mm-hmm. ups and downs and um, I wasn't even that that upset that they lost their next two games additionally I did learn one thing so I uh, I took in our soccer game this previous Sunday I took a penalty kick for the first time in a long time because I'd been inspired by as I mentioned last time by Marcus Rashford stepping up um, and taking the penalty kick and not being scared, and I was inspired by it, and I took it, and I scored it. He scored, ladies and gentlemen. I down. scored it. So he now I've gotten it. over that mental block, and it's that, it's really that simple. You just tell yourself you're going to do it, and you score. Mm. Kind of like singing in front of people, maybe. Oh, wow. All right. Any other loose ends to tie up? Glaming, you have any loose ends to tie up from things that you haven't said before? There's many things I haven't said before. Yeah? Any loose ends from there? No. Okay. <laughs> So, um, next up... Uh, I mean, yes, but we can't go into them because okay. it's irrelevant. <laughs> There's no irrelevancy on this Broad, podcast. formless question. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, next, everybody's favorite, everybody's favorite section before we get to the main topic. Uh, introductions. So, um, there are four of us. We've already figured out that I'm going to introduce Bobby, Bobby James, James Gleming, Gleming, me. Who wants to start? You start first. Okay, I like it. A man of action. You must be very attractive to the ladies. You know what you want. You know what you want, Glaming. Mm. Mm. Bobby is Bobby. What was that? What did you say? I just nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Generalization. Okay. Um, first up, Bobby Stewart Winslow. Um, the last two times I've introduced him, he I've given him some dreams that I've had about him, Glaming. Do you ever dream, by the way? Um, do you ever dream about people in this room? No. Okay, cool. Um, so, since... I can't remember this. So now I've got a, uh, I've talked about, um, I've talked about that first dream with you and McKenna. You and had the, the fish. Yeah, and the fish. You had to traverse across that long, um, lake, um, around lake, I should say. The second one, there was a, um, a desert and you found a baby as the sun was setting. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're a much older man in this new dream that I had. Um, this isn't a fish head dream, is it? No, it's a new dream. Oh wow! It's a new dream. Yeah, you're you're much older. Um, oddly enough, your hair has not grayed, um, even though I think you're probably in your late forties. But mm. your hair is still great. Um, and what to say about this dream? Should I say every single detail from the dream? Mm-mm. No. Okay. Well, the main gist of it was, you were you were on the beach, and you were strolling along. Um, and you were, it looked like you were, you were holding hands, you thought you were holding hands with someone, and I assumed you were. Mm. But you know how dreams are weird, where like you look closer and something changes completely? When I looked more closely, you weren't actually holding hands with anybody. Um, and there was someone behind you who was walking, probably about 10 paces back. And you turned around, and you looked at that person, and then you beckoned for them to walk towards you. And they tried to walk towards you, but they couldn't. Um, and there was some kind of quicksand where they started to sink. And you leaned over, um, and you tried to walk, and you also started to sink too. And it was very strange. Um, and you finally got over to that person, and you lifted them out of their quicksand, um, and set them on solid ground again. And then you looked over at me, and you said, and you said, Josh, take heed. This is what happens. This is what can happen to those who do not uh, stay present in their life. Wow. And I was like, wow, Bobby the Sage. I never would have expected that life turn, you know, of all the things that Bobby could be. Because I'm unwise. No, that's not it. 
That's You're a practical true. man, a man of many practicalities. Mm. So that was my latest dream about Bobby. Um, and that's my introduction for him. Mm. And I caught Bobby mid-bite of salad. If you guys hear eating in the background, which is probably annoying... Um, real quick, while you're still chewing, so I do listen back to all of these podcasts, and uh, there was, I think it was the last, was it the last episode or the one before where um, you can tell that my mouth is full at some points, and I, I can tell how annoying that is, and I apologize to you listeners, um, the fact that you're still listening here in podcast number, are we on nine now? We're on number nine now. Podcast number nine um, is a testament to uh, how patient you guys are with us. We're, we're working out the kinks here, we're understanding and learning, um, and I'm not eating anything today. Mm-hmm. Bobby was, but now he's good. You good, Bobby? I'll get back to it. I have all some right. salad left just for the listeners who can't see. <laughs> That's all listeners. Us. Us <laughs> okay. Okay. So I've been introduced. Great. Uh, next up, I'm introducing James Supley. Let's see. I think I'll offer the listeners a bit about our relationship, me and James, mm. and the main connecting point between the two. Um... So James and I shouldn't know each other mm-hmm. um, because we are from very far apart, like still on the East Coast in America, but Pennsylvania near Philadelphia is where James is from, and I'm from a very rural area in Virginia, and I think the person that connects us is um, has a unique profession, and when he was a college student, he was getting started working for Young Life, although on a volunteer basis, and he was my Young Life leader. His name is Theron Huff. Shout out to Theron. What a name. Theron, Theron Huff. Huff. Theron yeah. means war, in, or warrior in Greek. Fun fact. Wow, and he hates being called the Ron. <laughs> but that's what <laughs> no, we call him in high school some. Um, anyway, th- this, this kid Theron that I thought was one of the coolest people on the planet would come to my high school um, as a Young Life leader, which is a Christian outreach ministry to high school kids, and he would share life with us and um, share the gospel with us. He has since moved to Pennsylvania to uh, take on a job working for Young Life full-time, so he's no longer volunteering. But when he met James, it was it must have been a few years, I'd say, after he knew me at my high school, yeah, quite and a few years. He was a college student at UVA, and so I knew him for two years and didn't know him extremely well. But then, like, he, he leaves, and I'd heard that he had gone to Pennsylvania, and at some point along the way had met James, I guess a couple years after that. Um, and it was last year, which was... 2018? I, yes, it was 2018. So it was 12 years after I had graduated high school, probably 14 years after I had met Theron. I'm sitting in my living room and this kid... Scrawny little kid. (laughs) Little upstart. James, who has just graduated from Penn, comes in and starts talking about living in Charlottesville and not quite sure what he's going to do, but he met Dennis Doran. Another shout out. Um, Shout out to Dennis. Because he had... Finished at Penn and wasn't sure what he was going to do next after college. And as we talked a little bit more, I found out that James did Young Life at Penn and knew Theron. So it was 14 years removed since I had last seen Theron. But pretty cool that um, someone like that is our connecting point because he's a hero of mine. So that's how I would introduce James after living with James for almost a year. He's a hero of mine too. Aww. So good job, Theron. That's mm. pretty good. That's almost like a it's got yeah. like dreamlike connections, you know. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of miraculous. Almost. <clears throat> yeah, man. As much as that story warms my heart, 
it makes me a little sad that Bobby's forgotten some of the details. Warm, so warms your cockles. <laughs> um, so when when I all the stuff about him knowing Theron and stuff is one hundred percent true. <laughs> then I knew Theron for about six years um, in high school and college, and when I told Theron that I was moving to Charlottesville. He said, you need to meet Bobby Winslow. Oh, snap. I didn't know that. And he, and Theron gave me Bobby Winslow's phone number. Oh, I'm the worst. And I texted <laughs> Bobby, and Bobby and I got coffee at Mud House. Really? On the mall? On the mall. Dang, he forgot this. And I suck. Man. I was wearing, <laughs> Sorry. I, I, the, I don't remember too much about our conversation. You remember what you were wearing something? I do, because Bobby commented on it. I was wearing a Greg Norman cardigan. Mm. And Bobby noticed the Greg Norman logo. The coolest logo in, I'd say, I actually don't know all what that looks like. apparel. Uh-huh. Like, he loves his logo, uh, and he, like, he noticed that and was like, oh, that's so cool. And and that was the first time that Bobby and I met. And then, like, a maybe month or two after that was when I was in his uh, living room. That's pretty funny. And so, that was for basketball, right? Playoffs? Yeah. yeah 76ers? Yeah. Lost? Okay. We don't have to go that far. <laughs> not to go that far. Anyway, so it is my honor to introduce our guest of honor, Gui Ming. Gui Ming Xiao. Sorry, I interrupted. Gui Ming. Um, let's see. Yeah, Gui Ming is one of the most fascinating people I know um, for, for many reasons. And many of these reasons are things that I've only heard second Oh, I like that. Uh, so one of the things that I think about that is most fascinating about Gui Ming that we probably won't get to talk about much on this particular podcast is that... <clears throat> Gui Ming, so Gui Ming owns several houses that he rents out to several of his friends, and we actually had an opportunity to live, uh, live right next door to the commune, as it's called, uh, Gui Ming and all of his little minions. His home for wayward, wayward boys. Yeah, the home for wayward boys. Um, so I think that that's one fascinating thing about Gui Ming. Also, I've heard through the grapevine that Gui Ming um, once tried to retire early, and... Um, would have been successful in doing so, but just sort of got bored, which I think is like really encapsulates Gui Ming for me. That Gui Ming always has to have something to do, and he's like always looking for something exciting and new to like challenge him, and he'll like he'll throw himself at anything and everything. And I think that really segues well into into our podcast today because one thing that Gui Ming has thrown himself into is. Mm-hmm learning how to play guitar and to be able to play guitar and sing and write songs and perform them in front of people. So without further ado, excellent introduction. Thank you. We Uh, almost, we almost should have ended with you. I think (laughs) that would have been, that would have been fitting. Oh, well, yeah, I definitely, uh, neither confirm nor deny all those things, uh, except I did not think about retiring early. That would be, uh, you never thought about it. It's, it is, I guess technically possible if you consider, uh, kind of not really eating food and stuff like that as retiring early. (laughs) What does that mean? Starvation? Yeah. Like if I just decided, all right, I'm going to figure out how to live off like 10 K a year. Oh yeah. So you thought about it though? No. Okay. All right. Fair (laughs) enough. Smart. Good job. I like you already. All right. Introductions. Um, so I'm introducing our host of honor, Josh. Wow, I don't know about that. There's many things we could say about Josh, of course, like there's life facts, details, things like that. What I will say is what I respect the most about Josh. Oh, no. Josh and I met when he first came to town, uh, right out of grad school. He came and visited and just decided Charlottesville's my place. It's... 
And now, what's cool about that is I think in this day and age, people who are under 40 kind of are maniacal about figuring their lives out often and have an inability to just, like, pick a place and stick with it. They're willing to sacrifice everything to search for something that's kind of unclear a lot of the time. And I think Josh, while, like, we have all our discussions about what we want to do, like, what is life supposed to look like, all that, fundamentally, though, Josh is willing to say i'm sticking to my guns in charlottesville i'm picking this place this is my place that i'm gonna make my home and i think that's just a really good thing to do as a human and a great visage of the american dream wow that was so thank you and i really respect that because i think that's uncommon thank you i will i will add a, ca- a caveat to that it's probably part of that has to do with i'm just too lazy to look for other places to live so once i'm in a place i'm probably just good it's easy but yes, I agree. But that's a rare saying thing. in a spot is mm-hmm. saying in a spot is is uh, maybe yeah. a future podcast title. Why would yeah. I say in one spot? Oh, yeah. that's a good one. Oh, we need to write that down, but we can't because we're talking. Okay, <laughs> so thank you very much, Fleming. That was yeah. very kind of you. Um, so now we come to our main topic of the day, which I can't remember. Why would I write? Why would I write music and perform, perform it in a transcendent manner? <laughs> For as a non-transcendent talent. As a non-transcendent talent. So what you mean by that basically is as an amateur. Or as someone who is not particularly uh, talented at one at musical endeavors. Right, but still want to do it anyways, basically. Oh. Do something you're not necessarily great at right away. Yeah. So you chose this topic, um, which is great. And what I would like most of our guests to do, that'd be great. Um, why in the end did you choose this topic as something to talk about, would you say? I think that art and music is something that's heavily misconstrued often once it's put in a national context or in some kind of like, is this good or not context? And music in particular, I strongly, as someone who, I don't believe that I'm unusually gifted at singing or playing guitar. I've taken a lot of lessons on like playing guitar, so therefore I've learned things, but I don't think I'm like an unusually gifted, but I'm trying it. You're pretty good. And... What's cool about it is I've learned that music is truly just connection. It's this, like, I believe that it's this thing that God has just gifted us with, with the ability that when, typically when you interact with new people, there's kind of an awkward, like, wall you've got to push through. And what you can do with music is just have the experience of transmitting a piece of your humanity through music to someone who's never met you before, and they listen. Mm. And I think that by itself is like a, a very pure and core element of what music generally is. It's just the secret language that's gifted to all of us. And I don't think it's just like, I'm good at singing. I can sell records and sell out arenas. That's what music is. Mm-hmm. And I think I've learned that. So, and I like that. I've derived a lot of fruit from it. Yeah. How did you first decide to do this? Or what, what made you first realize this? You're like, oh, I could do this. That'd be fun. I would say that as a human, I that like I could do thing is pretty wide. I just think most humans can probably do most things if they it takes work. Yeah. But generally, like you can do it, whatever it is that you kind of want to do, you can at least get okay at it. Yeah. And enjoy it. Like I could beat you at Super Smash Brothers. Yeah. It's possible. Okay. You'd have to practice and you'd have to learn things, but it's possible. <laughs> I don't think it's out. I don't think it's outside of any. And so to your question, I think I've always. I think it's more a decision of like when, hey, like when am I going to do this? When am I going to try it? Um, I played music all my life. Mm-hmm. And then I think what I wanted to do was 
So I guess backing up, there's a period post college, and I did the fellows program at, in Charlottesville, where there's just a period Shout of like out to fellows everywhere. Probably like sustained uh, absence of community for about a yearish, like not the year directly after fellows, but for about a year, like people in Charlottesville tend to move in and out when you're in your early twenties. Yeah. And I just need something to do. So I took guitar lessons. It was fun. And what I found is it was really, as I said, like cathartic to just create your own music because you can, you can like write a song about something entirely pointless, like a fireplace and pretending the fireplace is animate. And you did write this song. I did write this song, but like when you perform it, you still like the audience connects. And I think it's not just the, even just the words or the sounds. Like for some reason, once again, music just is this weird connection that just allows you to connect to people and creating it was something that just sort of spawned organically out of that. Yeah. Do you think I have like two questions and feel free to jump in guys just, just override me whenever you need. Um, but this connection that people seem to feel through music, I mean, I know you can't really describe what it is and mm-hmm. fundamentally probably, but like, is it similar? Like, I don't, I don't understand it really because it's almost like, it's almost like you're taking MDMA and suddenly you're, you're, uh, you're intimately connected with everyone you come across. Um, but with music, it's the same sort of thing. Like suddenly you have an intimate personal connection with the mm-hmm. person who's singing it, even if you've never met them. Mm-hmm. Honestly, even if you've never seen them, like if you're just listening on your headphones, mm-hmm. you can still feel their emotion behind the words. <coughs> yeah, there wasn't really a question there. Do you have anything to add? I, I do. So I think... Um, this kind of ties back to your comment about Josh being yeah. uh, like impressed with him. Like there's yeah. an uncommon thing he did in picking a spot, and that like shows some level of character. Yeah. Would you say there's a level of character expressed from a musician to the listener? Yeah. And and how would you describe it? Good question. So the first time I performed at the open mic night. I think the things I thought about were, am I going to remember the words? Am I going to sing in tune properly? Mm. Am I going to play the right notes? Just like, am I going to make silly mistakes? But what you learn is like, on stage your first time, you kind of are just so nervous that you whatever happens just happens. And whatever happens is exactly what music is in that setting. Mm. You use your voice, which is an incredible machine designed to transmit just not just information but also your soul to some degree Hmm. and then also you use your words which you've crafted and spent a lot of time distilling big thoughts into what a song is which is extremely small amounts of work and it just like your voice plus that plus sound and rhythm and these things for whatever reason i think just kind of go when you're up there Hmm. um and i think that's like if you, unless you're robotic up there or unless you like, make a lot, don't say any of the words or like, unless you're, um, if you truly perform your song and do your best at that, I think like totally outside of the idea of like, was that good? It was very, it's always human. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be not human because it is a human doing those actions. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think the, one of the fascinating things, especially about live music performance um, in this sense, and especially as a singer-songwriter, is is that there's there's this combination of bravery and vulnerability that I think mm-hmm. we rarely see in mm-hmm. any in really in any other venue. I mean, mm-hmm. it's I think it's really it it can be inherent to the arts, um, but specifically with like performing live music, you have this the the bravery to to present to bear your soul 
in front of an audience in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that vulnerability shows this, yeah, I think shows these, these two ideas that can often be very conflicting, mm-hmm. right? In that you're like, you <coughs> admire the person's courage and bravery mm-hmm. in, in going up and performing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, you're, you're seeing, you're seeing who they truly are, right? Well, oftentimes when we think of like being brave or being courageous, it's like you're, you're shoving the rest of your, like the rest of your fears and anxieties down in order to, in order to present, in, in order to present a brave face, right? I, I think in like sports competition and such, right? If you're, if you're being brave and courageous, right? You're taking risks and all these sorts of things, but there isn't that vulnerability. I mean, there's a vulnerability for failure for sure, but I think music is very unique in that, mm-hmm. as Gleming was saying, right? You're, you're bearing your soul in a way. And you're yeah. you're being very very vulnerable, and I think yeah. that's ultimately where that that beauty comes from, is this idea that we're seeing a human being as they are, at, in all of their complexity, and and mystery in a way, and they're and they're trying to to present that in a way that's simultaneously very brave and very vulnerable. Yeah, you feel like when you perform, your fear is not oh, they're going to think I missed that shot because I did. They're going to be, your thought is, oh no, do they like me or not? It's Mm. not like, do they like Mm. even the action that I just did or like the success or failure of like a uh, yes or no type action. It's like, this is, no matter how you spin it, a tiny, even if it's a tiny, it's a tiny piece of me and that's how you feel. Um, and that's the biggest, I would say, honestly, insecurity of people in general, too, of why they aren't vulnerable or not. It's all goes into the same kind of uh, fears. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I think um, I, I think we could have a fascinating conversation on comparing these other elements of, of identity, right? So take like taking a basketball player, for example, I think there are certainly basketball players out there who who believe that their identity is wrapped up in their success on the court, right? And that can, and that can ultimately change how they view themselves, right? But I think even that is like a is a, a false understanding of like who we truly are, right? Whereas with music, I think one of the reasons why that failure seems deeper in a way is because we are, as you're saying, we're truly bearing a part of ourselves, not just what we think our identity is, but in in what we truly think and feel and believe. Which I think makes it more profound. That's true. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, it's interesting because it it is like there are certain songs where you put a song out, it exists on its own, but if somebody sings it, it becomes an, a whole new creation. So this is what mm-hmm. we just witnessed with James when he came to me yesterday or two days ago and said. Oh yeah, Mum- he went and saw Mumford and Sons mm-hmm. on Sunday, and he's like, "Yeah, they were great. They performed Johnny Cash, uh, cover of Johnny Cash's Hurt." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, technically, Nine Inch Nail was originally performed Hurt, then yeah. Johnny Cash covered it, basically made it his own because yeah. he sang it. He sang, sang it in such an intimate um, way. He like took those words upon himself mm-hmm. um, and sang them. And it's just interesting when when you when you have someone sing something, but then you have someone else sing it." And they put their own soul into it. Mm-hmm. They make it living. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, it, yeah, I mean, it's like a, I don't know, it's a, the language of the gods almost. Um, they say that for math, like mathematics is the eternal language, right? So you, mm-hmm. you discover the same math wherever you go. 
music, you have different music, but it's all, it's all powerful. It's all just as powerful. It's also the same diatonic scale in every culture independently. I, that, that blows my mind. There are seven notes. Every song you've ever heard only has seven notes. And that's not to say, like, you have notes all in the key of C, which stretches from C to yeah. B. B just, yeah, just a B, right? Like, um, you could be, you could start at a different point and end at a different point, but those seven notes are always going to be separated by the same intervals, so six different intervals. Um, it's always 22 keys, half it, minor, half major. Yeah. Every culture had the circle of fifths independently. Yeah. Wait, what's the, what was that, circle of fifths? Every culture somehow derived the basic, the base fundamentals of music theory independently. There's changes in how they temper, which we don't, that's an extremely long conversation about how tempering works. <laughs> um, but the basic structure of like, how many keys do we have? How many notes are in each key is the same from culture to culture. So it's almost like it was discovery as opposed to an invention. But independently by every culture on Right, they discovered something that was already existing, is what I'm saying, as opposed to inventing something that had not existed yeah. yet, which is fascinating. I, I don't know how that is. Why do, you, why do you, I mean, the obvious answer would say that God placed this in us, but the fact that sounds there's have a, a logical yeah. order to them that there, you can't escape There's the fascinating. Same, I don't think we should go into it, it, or I guess we could. The, I read. A, I, I was bothered by this for a while and read a lot about it. Have you read about it? How every culture independently came but, up with it? I think it's no, fascinating. this is a new idea to me. Um, but, oh shoot, there was something I was going to say. Never mind, continue. Yeah, I think you should go yeah. into a bit. That's fine. I will try to make this as short as possible. It's a little complicated and scientific. But I'll, basically, yeah. so every culture invented a vibrating string. If I take a string and make it taut and pluck it, it makes a note. And at some point, every culture discovered... Uh, that if I take that same string but make it a half length of that string and I play it, it sounds like an octave, always. And what's simple? Oh yeah. Good. So like if you <laughs> so if you look at the note and then actually just pluck a note and then find where exactly half of the length of the string is. So we're looking at half the guitar. Like I know which from the bridge to the nut. But yeah, th this is the same distance from. Okay. There to there. And then that always plays that? an octave. What is an octave for an those octave who don't is the know. sensation of a note being the same note but higher. Okay. So the pitch is one, one, I don't know, one octave higher is yeah. the way to say it. Yeah. Um, so that means every note between this low note and this higher octave is a different and unique note. But you can feel the tension build as we go up. Yeah. So what is the tension building towards? The octave. What does that mean, though? It's like, just like a human sensation that's yeah. best described as I hear a sound and it sounds like resolution. Yes. Yeah. Well, that sounds pleasing to us. Yes. Whereas, like, that's amazing. Like, if you just stopped on, like, a sixth, it would just sound sad and feel like the song didn't end. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't even know most of these things. Like, I'm not a... I, I love music as an amateur. I just love experiencing it and... Just hearing, like, we mentioned before, like, Derek Truck's band when we went and saw them, um, just the crescendo that they'll build towards mm -hmm. and then the release that they give you, it is, like, an emotional life experience. Like, it's yeah. it's things that you experience when you're crying, you know? You release. You have to yeah. release it through tears eventually. Um, there are other things that we could go into. James can maybe talk about where you release things. James? No. <laughs> Next time. So Next time. so one thing that's, that's, that is fascinating that a little bit from 
my experience. So they have studied like different intervals mm -hmm. and like if there's any like mathematical relationship between like things that we find appealing um, or we find attractive and like their mathematical simplicity. Um, I, this is going way back in my music theory brain, but, um, so like an octave, for example, has like a very simple relationship, right? Or like a fifth, Bobby, could you play a fifth for us? Mm -hmm. A fifth is, um, a third of the length of the string versus half. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So like so, they were talking about these ratios and everything. So we'll go to half the length of the string again as the octave. That's what you hear there. So then to get the fifth, that's the fifth, and when you play the fifth together, when you play the octave together, it sounds like this. Sounds like the same note. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's... But you can kind of hear both. But when we play the fifth together, it sounds like this. There's a lot more going on. Yeah. What is yeah. going on? Or what, sorry, what were you going to say? So, <clears throat> so they've studied, like, these different intervals and such, and, like, looked at the these mathematical relationships between, like, string length um, and how much, like, how satisfying they are. Um, but I think most interestingly, one of, one of the most satisfying relationships and what most of Western harmonies build on the third, um, is actually a very awkward ratio. Um, so it's, so even as we like try to study these things mathematically and determine like, well, why is it that our, our ears resonate in that mm -hmm. sense with certain intervals and such, um, it's been it's been very very difficult to, to figure out just like mathematically and scientifically why that is. Um, but there's another interesting piece where this is the most interesting thing I found. So all cultures independently, based on these ratios that James was talking about, developed the same scale because they've got a they've got a octave, they've got a fifth, and they discover that with the circle of fifths, they just keep going up in fifths, they'll loop. But what's interesting is theoretically what that means mathematically is one third to the twenty second power, or which is how many fifths it takes to go all the way around. It might not it might be not be exactly twenty second, but like one third to the whatever number of fifths required to go all the way around the circle power, and should technically equal a half to the fifth power, or how many octaves that traverses. But they don't. And so what that means is there's this thing called tempering. So this this actually bothered the Greeks in the sense where if you try to actually do the circle of fifths based on perfectly tuned fifths all the way through, there's dissonance in certain intervals that just sound horrible. So if you th know a lot about music history in the past, there's this thing called tempering, which is how do we divide that dissonance amongst the scale? Um, there's an example of like a like a Bach has a piece called the Well Tempered Clavier, mm. and it divides the 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 dissonance across all the different notes unevenly. And so each key actually has a slightly different sensation. So like me playing uh, a per like a fourth in E will sound different than me playing a fourth in A. And so playing the same piece in a different key actually sounds different versus just higher. The modern music system takes this and divides the dissonance across every note completely evenly, such that unless you have completely perfect pitch, you can't tell. The average human will not be able to tell that, like, the fifth, like, Bobby, when you play a fifth on your guitar, it's actually a little bit dissonant. And it can never not be a little bit undissonant. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, like, an interesting thing where we have this structure and everyone's independently discovered it, but it's also fundamentally and irreconcilably flawed. Mm -hmm. 
that you cannot, you can't, it's not like you can like engineer a way out of the dissonance. It's just there. It's in the way the sound waves overlap with each other. Fascinating. Why do you, why do you think that is? There's all, I don't know. That gets into a speculation on why anything exists and that becomes a much more philosophical debate. I believe that it's uh, just a good example of here's gifts from the Lord that do exist. On the flip side, the fall also exists. Things must be fallen and kind of like irredeemable on their own. But also like there is still music and beauty. What would happen if you were to try and make it perfect? If you were trying to get rid of the, the dissonance? If you try to get rid of the dissonance, inherently you're choosing to make certain intervals perfect and then other intervals must become more dissonant. This is absolutely brilliant because uh, it's funny how in music that is completely normal and like accepted as a logical thought because you're discovering something that already exists. But in human society, when we and this is a, sort of a weird train of thought, but I, 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 like I jumped at it. Communism versus... Yeah, like that's the thing. When you try and make a utopia... By its very nature, you're going to make some things perfect, and you're going to kill a bunch of people on the other side. Not necessarily, not always, but well, most you make of the time. Something else go away. Yeah, yeah you make yeah. something else go away. When you try and create perfection in life, um, by its very nature, you create hell somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and if anything, you don't really. Yeah, you yeah. don't really even create heaven. Yeah. And so I think with it for me, it's like, yeah, it means that they're technically, if heaven is perfectly redeemed then there is music that we can't comprehend and how pure it is. Mm -hmm. That said, music is still a worthy and beautiful endeavor in this life. And that's, I think, both those statements are true. Do you have a favorite uh, like electrical guitarist or guitarist at all? Favorite guitarist? Yeah. It's hard to say. Overall, for most of my life, so who I like follows what I am trying to personally do. So I think... Most of my guitar lessons I took were blues rock ones, so I think Jimmy Page is great because yeah. I think he's like obviously technically incredible, but also incredibly creative for his time and like the types of stuff that he pulled out and what, tried with. What would you like? I don't know how, how closely you listen to someone like Jimi Hendrix, but how would you describe his guitar playing with Jimi all of your music? Yeah, with all of your musical theory. Because I, I describe it. Yeah, how would you describe it? Uh, it's a pretty normal like twelve bar blues type stuff that he does most of the time he sticks mostly into just like playing a fifth pentatonic scale over everything so then what what is it that makes him so distinctive when you hear when you hear him makes him distinctive yeah i think it's so music so i read this book called how music works it's by um the guy who's the lead singer of the talking heads oh yeah i love that and the main premise is that music is contextual and so you can't take, so why it's important is because you must take Jimi Hendrix's context, which is at that time, the guitar playing was very different. People didn't like do this there. Um, I think like if you were to truly describe it at that time, like his playing is, music theory wise, like most of his playing is like fairly, not, not like simple as in it's easy to do, but it's not like, he's not like Standard. doing, like heavy metal music is infinitely more complicated on the or jazz is like so much more complicated but his music feels free-flowing using the guitar as an instrument um it's like truly additive and like a piece of his soul as opposed to just like this is a chord that's setting the key we're in or setting the transitions we're in or setting the vibe so it's mainly that he's mastered those those 12 the 12 bar blues yeah it's like he's mastered it and now he and now it is him like he uses it 
I would say that it's about a lot of music. Like, if you think about when music is successful, it's that it always follows the characteristics of, on one hand, it follows a, that there's structure that it, like, sticks to that the human ear in that time and place resonates with because they hear it all the time. But it also stretches a little bit. So for, like, a 12-bar blues, like, he might be, be doing something where uh, he's staying to the generally the same chord production, but he's throwing in flatted sevenths on top of his four note, four chords a lot and then playing uh, like a minor scale on top of that instead of a ma- when it should technically be major and technically that's a key change. So he's giving you like novel uses of those different things. It's like it's like 85% archetypical, but then that last 15% is, is like him. is unusual. Right. Yeah, I wonder because when you said it's con- contextual, I wonder how much of it was like a product of his time as well because it's like yeah. at the the height of the, you know, hippie revolution. Um and where you're breaking all these constructs in society and you're sort of breaking free and you think you're free now and you're no longer held back um, and you're a master of it and but there are some where he just kind of goes off into the clouds like it seems like he's he's just gone and like you don't come back like you need some kind of structure to get you back in a way but even like i think the context is also like just like technology is a piece of the context like think about singing pop singers would be considered horrible classic singers most of the time Hmm. because classically singing is about like where i am which is i must be in an auditorium and everyone needs to be able to hear me so it's about hitting pure notes at high volume smoothly and that's super important for classical singing james in the shower by the way that's james in the shower like that's just do classical stuff like if you don't sing that way then it's not music at that time to some degree because Mm. like no one can hear you in a concert they invented the microphone and that opened up a whole can of worms and then they, of course, like, so with guitars, the same thing, like, oh, I can put, like, a super gigantic set of humbuckers or something, like a P90 or something in my guitar, which are different types of pickups, mm-hmm. and, like, drive them so hard that they clip the amp, and then we've invented distortion. And at that time, that's, like, like the super, like, use of distortion and the vibe it sets was unusual for the time, and that's part of, that's, like, part of his vibe. Right, and yeah, most of those are like freak discoveries too, like yeah. they're just by accident, and then you yeah. take them and yeah. you use them. I mean, in terms of pure playing and theory and like what he plays, like John Mayer is like pretty similar, is like almost identical to just like the same kind of style, same kind of shifts that he tends to do, even same type of like... As Jimi Hendrix? Or... Yeah, oh, there's a lot of it, and, yeah. but like in the same flight, like Jim, John Mayer is obviously successful, but he's not iconic in the same way as Jimi Hendrix was because of that context. Yeah, yeah, agreed. If anything, John Mayer's wanted to become less famous over time as he like returns to his roots, as he says. I don't know how true that is. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Nothing. All right. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So, were there other, any other things that you like wanted to talk about tonight? Yeah, I think the. So we've talked a lot about music, what it is, but I think my biggest point is like once again, I think it's super important for the. App. I just think music is something that the average human who can have a guitar and can like generally carry a tune will derive a lot of just human value from. Like learning how to play music, being willing to try to write your songs, completely trying to throw out is this good or not, and just like writing songs and performing them in front of people is a, it's, in some ways it's a tool, but it's like a very beautiful tool that lets you connect with other humans in a way that's not like that's it's just like in a be- very beautiful way and i think that the biggest point i have is i think people should the average human should try at least try i don't know yeah so um 
how many times would you say you've sung in front of people now? People you don't know? Say there's at least one person you don't know? I've gone to the open mic night 15 times, and 15. I've probably played like 9 or 10 different songs. Each time, is it equally as rewarding? Is it is it equally different each time you do it? How would you describe the experiences of doing it? I'm less nervous now. Uh, it's different depending on what I'm trying to do time-wise. Like the And then the different times can have more amp than other times. Like last time I went was two weeks ago. So I turned 21 on Saturday, and I wrote a song. You turned 21 on Saturday? 29 on okay. Saturday. Just kidding. And I wrote a song about turning 29 and what I'm thinking before I turn 29 to play at the open night, mic night the week before I turn 29. So that's, like, a little different because it has significance. It's very meta, yeah. Um, but I think the... Uh, you're less nervous. You might be thinking about more things. What it's, do you feel after it, though? Like, what sort of emotions are you feeling after you, you go You always stage? feel the same thing as a good conversation, always. Mm. You might have become more smoother at having conversation, and you might, but fundamentally, like, you feel like you connected with humans, and they connected with you. That's fascinating, because it's a one-way conversation, right? But it's not really. It's like a lot of nonverbal communication that you yeah. get from people. The open mic night's different, because I would say, so this happens at the local every Monday night at 9, uh... Well, <laughs> uh, thousands of people will be swarming the local next time you play. <laughs> I'm just warning you. Basically, like it's not. I wouldn't think about the singer songwriter night as a show. It's closer to like eighty five percent of the people who go and listen play. So it's closer to just like what I think is the epitome of local music, which is people in the area that you live mm. in who have a common language of music and otherwise very different lives, come and share whatever they're thinking and feeling about, uh, and. I would say, like, the average quality of the music, musicianship there is, like, pretty good. But even then, like, the cool thing about it outside of all that is just that you have people coming together, sharing songs with each other, and listening to each other. Like, that's... And it's incredibly enjoyable. Yeah, I would think it is. What is it? Because it's similar to what we did last about, like, sports and how sports teams can bring everybody together. What would you say it is about music that helps us, like forget all of our divisions or our, our, our stereotypes that we might have of other people what is it just the fact that it's like i think it, it's just pure it's i don't think it's a science it can it's probably has scientific things in it it has like philosophical things in it but fun it just like dumbs it all down and it's just singer songwriter nights are humans writing words and sharing them with people in a singing voice and that's like just raw literal humans because it's, as once again, like it's a human doing those things, so it can't not be human. And those humans all have stories. They're not robots, and therefore, like, they come through. Right, yeah, the, the sort of the uniqueness of each person's yeah. soul. Even if it's, like, a very pointless song that's about, like, a really funny thing that's not related, you still hear the human. Right, through. It shines through. It's not, yeah, it's, not, yeah, it's really not the... Yeah. Um, the form of the song really it's, it's just the like content or the person behind it it's just fundamentally that it is a human performing for you yeah but like a human could perform for me with something else and it would it wouldn't have the same effect as music does yeah that's because juggling is not as exciting and juggling is <laughs> yeah, not a human voice and not words i think like in genesis like god speaks the whole world into there's like unique significance throughout all of the bible in the power of words mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the human voice transmits words, and it is a human transmitting words. And, like, there is something in there. Yeah, and there's something about combining that with harmony. Um, so, uh, as 
Okay, so we're we're gonna end a little bit early today because Guiming does have to leave. Um, go talk to to uh, some of the higher ups of his company. <laughs> Is that what you have to do? Um, but before we go, we did want to have Guiming maybe sing a song. We just kind of if thought you, of if it. You'll humor us. If you'll humor us, Guiming. So okay. your choices. So there's two songs. Okay. I'm thinking. So we could do. These are the last two songs I played, and therefore I had the highest chance of. I'm not a seasoned performer in the sense that I play the same songs every day, so I might not remember the words. But Let's pretend it's just the. Which one is which thing. one is most intimate, Guiming? So we have two. Yeah, Basically, just... they're not. They're different. One is a letter to my fireplace, which is sad because it's now springtime and I'm leaving. And the other is a song about turning 29. I want to hear the 29. I want to hear the 29. 29? 29. 29, James? 29, sure. All right, 29. Yeah. I will be turning 29 soon, so I'm, gonna, I'm looking so, forward to this. See what happens. I will not be turning 29 soon. That's you will. It'll be here before you know it. Oh, no. Forgive me if I make mistakes. I I've already think I remember the words. We do. Thank you for playing for us. This is great. Yeah. I'm turning 29 from 28 So here's a list of all the things I hate I hate snow when it turns to slush When people don't pick up after dogs in a rush I hate waking before 8.30 <laughs> I hate the way the news makes me worry About everything but friends and family I hate when people move Cause change is what they need But I know that all these things I hate Are just a trick to help me to escape Telling you about 29 When I say that I'm doing just fine 29, my hair is falling Like the autumn leaves are falling Back that line up, oh And I can't change a thing I thought by now I'd have a ring Put on someone else's fingers But I pay bills and wonder If this is all I'm meant to be I'm turning 29 from 28 So here's a list of loves I hope you relate I love burning things When I need a spark Love painting walls To know I made a mark I love candles burning silent in the dark When music fans are dying flame in my heart I love my parents more than they could ever know I love Virginia more than any place I've called home But I know with all these loves I have 28's been one of the best I've had I'm afraid of 29 When I say that I'm doing just fine 29, my hair is falling Like the autumn leaves are falling Back that line up, oh, and I can't change a thing I thought by now I'd have a ring 
To put on someone else's fingers when I pay bills and wonder if this is all I'm meant to be. And I believe in God above, cause I've seen the blaze of hand of love reaching out to fix my broken bones. But sometimes I feel like I'm on my own. So when I wake in the morning time I sing a song and drink my birthday wine My whole life feels like a wild river running Don't look back now, 29 is it coming Wow, Woo! that was incredible! I'm glad I picked that one Bravo, Gleaming. That was amazing. I teared up, I'll be honest. Yeah, and there is, again, it was a perfect ex experiment of that intimacy. Like, just seeing you sing it. Um, Thank you. There's some, Thank yeah, you. you can kind of, sounds weird, but I can yeah. see into your soul, and it's amazing. Yeah. And there, uh, for all you listening out there, take Gleaming's advice. Try an instrument. Go sing in front of people. Be vulnerable. There is an amazing life out there for you to have, and there's magic everywhere you turn. Any last words, guys, before we end it? And see Gleaming play the local. <laughs> yeah. Is it nine? Yeah, let's, let's, let's shut that place down. Let's Charlotte shut that place school. down next yeah, time. Great. Um, but only one out of four, a random one out of four Mondays. <laughs> okay, well, just <laughs> a little bit of a lottery. Just come every Monday and see what happens. <laughs> see what's up. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Um, this has been great. Uh, and we will see you again next time, maybe next week. Um, otherwise, listen to some good music uh, and go hug someone that you know. Mm. I don't know. All right. Goodbye, everybody. See y'all. Thanks, Gwen.